Fun, you have been doing a great job. I appreciate you working really, really hard to make this podcast uh, for you and for me. Um, I decided to hire you full time. My goodness, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Clean. Ooh, boy, that's a big weight off my shoulders. <laughs> and five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Rocket 88 by the one and only Ike Turner. Ike Turner, Rocket 88. And I have an interview here from uh, the deceased Ike Turner. Okay. Major Jack gets Ike to open up and talk about the alleged beatings he gave his former wife, Tina. In today's Star Profile segment, we get a closer look at Ike Turner. Oh, so you don't know. Ike, I want to read something from the May issue of Vanity Fair. It says, quote, Ike Turner struck Tina on a regular basis for 16 years. With everything from shoes to coat hangers, once putting a burning cigarette to her lips. Okay, look, okay, I can stop you. I know where you're going. Okay, with all of, with all of this, if, if you look at Tina, you see any of those scars, she said I broke her jaw on it. If you ask the doctor, a doctor can tell you, if I broke her jaw, no way is she going on stage. You admit that you have slapped Tina before, but why, Ike? She would be walking around looking sad. 
are looking sad with a lip drop. And I keep asking her, and what is the matter with you? What's wrong? And it's always, nothing. And it would go on for a day or two till finally, why the f don't you? And then this is where I would slap her or something. Then she would change her mood or attitude or something. Let me tell you, I would say this. I would do no more to Tina, and I did no more to Tina than I would want somebody to do to my mother. Tina has said that after a while, making love to you was like rape. That's another lie. The boy, that chick, I swear, boy, they ain't missing no hoes. Look, there was the, I, look, look, I had, uh, there are very few Ikeas uh, uh, that, I, that, that I had that I didn't go with. If it's anything, man, I never even had time. I wanted to make love at home. I mean, the, uh, Unless it was through guilt that I don't. Do you ever regret anything that happened between you and Tina? No, but I don't see why I should be put down on whatever I did for 18 years that we were together, man. It fed us, it slept us, it raised our kids, it put them through school, it did whatever we whatever we did. And so I don't know how all of this could have been bad, man. We never, ever do nothing nice and easy. For Screen Scene, I'm Mary Major Jack. Make sure you tune in tomorrow for part three of our exclusive. All right. But, you know, I can't help but to listen to it at least one more time because I don't think I, I don't believe my ears. Reporter Mary Major Jack gets Ike to open up and talk about the alleged beatings he gave his former wife, Tina. In today's Star Profile segment, we get a closer look at Ike Turner. Ike, I want to read something from the May issue of Vanity Fair. It says, quote, Ike Turner struck Tina on a regular basis for 16 years. With everything from shoes to coat hangers, once putting a burning cigarette to her lips. Okay, look, okay, I can stop you. I know where you're going. Okay, with all of, with all of this, if, if you look at Tina, you see any of those scars, she said, I broke her jaw on it. If you ask the doctor, a doctor can tell you, if I broke her jaw, no way is she going on stage. You admit that you have slapped Tina before, but why, Ike? She would be walking around looking sad. With a, with a, uh, looking sad with a lip drop. And I keep asking her, and what, what is the matter with you? What's wrong? And it's always <laughs> nothing. It, uh, uh, and it would go on for a day or two till finally, why the f don't you? And, and then this is where I would slap her or something. Then she would change her mood or attitude or something. Let me tell you, I would say this. I would do no more to Tina, and I did no more to Tina than I would want somebody to do to my mother. Tina has said that after a while, making love to you was like rape. That's another lie. The boy, that chick, I swear, boy, they ain't missing no hoes. Look, there was the, I, look, look, I had, uh, there are very few Ikeas uh, uh, that, I, that, that I had that I didn't go with. If it's anything, man, I never even had time. I wanted to make love at home. I mean, the, uh, unless it was through guilt that I don't. Do you ever regret anything that happened between you and Tina? No, but I don't see why I should be put down on Whatever I did for 18 years that we were together, man, it fed us, it slept us, it raised our kids, it put them through school, it did whatever we, whatever we did. And so I don't know how all of this could have been bad, man. We never, ever do nothing nice and easy. Mm, that was a tough, a tough interview. I, I, Ike Turner is now deceased. Um... Yeah, let's see. I think there's another interview here by him. Tina Turner is still living, by the way. And today is December 
the 13th, 2020. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see what this one's talking about. take them to the big time in the music world but their stage success concealed a private life of violence now a film called what's love got to do with it based on tina's biography has reopened old wounds it paints ike turner as a womanizing cocaine addicted monster who beat his wife with coat hangers and walking sticks and once threw boiling coffee in her face ike who's recently served time in prison on drugs charges claims it's a lie both he and Tina agreed to speak to me about their tempestuous life together. If everything Tina says about you is true, then you're a bad man. Well, well, I would say this. Uh, uh, maybe so, if it was true. But, uh, 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 but if that's what it took to make her what she is today, then uh, uh, I have no regrets. There's no scars on Tina. You can take a real close look at her. She's never had any skin graft on her face anywhere. If I put coffee on her... And she got, uh, uh, from what I understand, she said 33 and 30 degree burns or whatever it was. I'm sure that it would have been, she would have to have some skin graft or something. Like, how bad were you into cocaine? Oh, I was uh, terrible, man. Terrible. Best thing happened to me was when I went to jail, man. And so that's when I got my life back together. I can gladly say now, man, that I've been clean now, man, for five years, you know, a little over five years. Is Tina a classy lady? A what? Classy. Classy lady? Yeah. Uh, I, th I think so. She used to be. I don't know anything about her today, man. I, because, in other words, I don't. She talked with the, uh, uh, an accent like uh, an English accent or Australian accent or something. Where would she be now if she'd never met you? Yeah, probably in St. Louis, uh, nurses' aid at the uh, at Barnes Hospital. Did you make that much difference to her life? Well, I think so. Uh, there was better singers. They they look better. They dance better. They perform better. You know, but uh. She was just the one that I chose in my group uh, to be out front. Tina, thanks for your time. It's good to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you. First the book, now the movie. Why did you want to do that? The book was written because I, I was having a problem with every interviewer talking about my past and with Ike, and I felt that... If I told the story of what my life was like there, people would understand why I left. And then they all went crazy to want to know uh, how I stayed there, right? What did you think of the movie? I haven't yet seen the movie. Yeah, why not? <laughs> well, because I had enough when I was there. I don't need to see photographs. I don't need to see a movie. I don't need to be reminded. Was there anything good about Ike in your life? Yes, I learned many things from Ike. All of my training, except my talent, and, and I would say my talent is in terms of my dancing and my singing, was natural for me, but the exposure came through Ike Turner. You talked about victim, and of course the book and the movie features your allegations about his bashings. Tell me about that. You like to hear that. That's what it's all about. I have to make a joke. It's, 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 it's my only way of communicating. Yes, Ike was a violent man when I met him with his ladies before 
these women before. I knew that he was a violent person. I also knew that he had a mental problem. And uh, this is this is not sort of featured in the movie. Yes, he was he was he was a brutal man. He had some problems from childhood, and it's sort of reflected in his life. Tina, as you know, Ike says your allegations aren't true. Let me show you a brief clip where he answers my question on beating you. Well, uh, uh, what I did do to Tina is like, uh, uh, we've had, uh, I've slapped Tina, uh, the only time I ever punched Tina in my life was the last fight that we had. And and, and, and that was uh, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, this is the last time we broke up. Uh, 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 uh. I have slapped her any time, uh, when I say slapped her, it's like, Tina, uh, uh, I think we lived a lie. Uh, our whole life was a lie. Tina, what do you say to that? I don't want to start an argument with Ike Turner via satellite. <laughs> everyone knows, everyone that worked for Ike and Tina in those days know what happened. Um, I can see why someone would want to deny it. It shows, you know, not a very good character, but uh, I, I have nothing to say. Okay, well, let's put the violence aside because it certainly had a good airing in the book and will have in the movie. But there was another thing he said, and I can understand maybe he's trying to get back at you, but I'd like to to put it to you because it seems so unusual. He said about you that he believed you didn't want to be black. I'd like you to see him now say that. She don't even associate with anybody that knew the two of us. Other words, there's not one black employee around her. None. Not even a musician. Tina, what do you say to that? Well, how can I explain? When I hired my band, uh, the auditions was open. But no one came. No black people came. Um, my success came from Europe. Let's say white country, even though black people are there. Australia, England. All of my success did come from a white country. So what can I say? I, I, I mean, I can't just wait around and depend on my race to, uh, to help me to become successful if there's another race there to help. These days, you've got to go for what's there. So basically, you've had a white market. Yes, that I had white people that cared about my success and that helped. It it actually came from another country. You know, that's just how it happened. What can I say? It was my luck. It had nothing to do with chance. It was just how it was. I'm happy it's how it was. <laughs> um, I won't carry on about Ike, but I'll just put one more. Let him have you say one time more. You talked about him having sex around the house in unusual circumstances, even when the children were there. Here's what he had to say about that. She knew what I liked, and just like by for four years, she was getting girls for me. I, mean, I would tell her, go get this girl and send her over to the house, etc. So she knew what I liked and disliked about women. Tina? Uh, yeah, I knew what he liked and disliked because they were all around me. They, yes, Ike's women were basically the secretaries, the Ikeats, and um, I don't recall actually getting women for Ike. I was friendly with everybody that was there. But actually, I had no freedom to go out and get anybody because we were all basically locked in. So there was no freedom for this kind of a thing. Whoever was there was whoever he had brought in. You know, that's how it was. You seemed very calm and accepting about the bad times with him and even seeing those clips, you, you take it pretty calmly. I'm, I'm past it. It's been 16 years since I haven't been with Ike. And the movie and the book is bringing me back to the past of something that was really awful. My life is wonderful at the moment. I hold no anger, and it doesn't matter to me what a lot of people say, you know. It's, I know the difference. I am a happy person now, and I don't dwell on unhappiness. Well, that's a great way to be. 
So what more do you want out of life? Well, let's see. I'd like to do a few, few movies uh, still. Uh, let's see. I'm not really worried about anything. It's just the course of life now at this stage. I'm waiting to see what will be the next step. And you're coming out to Australia soon. I think you're singing at the Rugby League Grand Final. That's going to be so great. I know it's going to be be wonderful because this song is a song that I always felt would be great for sports. And this is the first time actually seeing one of the games and actually being there. I am thoroughly excited about it. Boy, we started out talking about Ike Turner and then it got on Tina Turner. This interview was conducted in 1993. Very sad. But um, the song Rocket 88 that I played at the beginning uh, was one of uh, the first rock and roll songs. First rock and roll songs that came out. And it was by Ike Turner, very creative man, but he just had a substance problem and he is deceased. Uh, Let me see. Yeah. I think is there any more anything else? This this is Ike and Tina Turner, Hollywood Palace, nineteen sixty eight full. So this might be something you want to look up and watch. But uh as far as this podcast right now episode it's about to be over after I play this. Well, that's Proud Mary, you know, that's them together. You could go listen to that as well. Um, what else we have here? Ike and Tina Turner interview. Oh, this is interesting. Let's check this out. If you have postmenopausal. I swear I'm Candace Bergen Buck Henry and Dr. James Atz, curator and dean bibliographer at the Department of Ichthyology at the American Museum of Natural History. What? <laughs> Study of fish. Fish and that. How are you? Fine. Gee, I can Tina Turner. I can't believe it. Well, I can't believe it. I've been watching it for a long time and I said, I wonder why we never did why we never did this show. Did you really? Yeah. That's funny, because I came downstairs when you were rehearsing, and one of the guys in your group, who's a guy in a black suit, he stands back in the wings there. Oh, uh, Magride. Yeah. And I thought, gee, I hope they, they like me as much as I like them. <laughs> and I went up to him, and I said, is everything okay? And he said, are you with the electric department here? <laughs> and I, I said, no, I, I'm not, but I could find somebody who is. He said, Some, there was a court there. Oh, but, I see. Uh, yeah, but then I, I think he's, he still doesn't know. He wants, he's back there wondering why an electrician is out here doing the show. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to see you. Thank you. Ike and Tina Turner. You realize your initials started a scandal in the administration, ITT? ITT, little, yeah. Have, so, have you heard that before? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> see, i got to do something to keep ahead of you. Who, who influenced you most, uh, other than the obvious influence of Jeanette McDonald and Nelson Eddy? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Is there anybody you can point to uh, that uh, you listened to as a kid and wanted to sound like? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Ray Charles, Sam Cooke. I've, yeah. uh, I, I never started wanting to be, you know, real feminine. Yeah. You know, like the girls' singers. I sort of wanted to, you know, really... Well, because when I started singing, 
uh, Ike had, you know, mostly male um, uh, singers, and um, I wanted to sound like they sound. So, I mean, I've been singing all my life, but when I started singing with him, I wanted to sound like them, and then with uh, liking Ray Charles and all, I just sort of went right along. I never had, have had a lot of uh, female uh, yeah. favorites. That's interesting, yeah. And she wanted to punch like a man, and well, all the women want to be men these days. What do you make of that, Ike? I didn't say I wanted to be a man. No, no, I didn't say that. I, I'm sorry, I put words in your mouth. And uh, is it true that your real names are... Um, Maurice and Samantha Fleischman, and then oh, you changed wow. them to... Huh? Of course not. My name is Tina. <laughs> I just, I'm just checking all these rumors out. I, I ah. But you did teach Mick Jagger to dance, I read in a Rolling Stone interview, and they wouldn't print anything but the truth. Well, I did. Uh, now, I, I was, some of the songs, the I actually... Uh, the truth? Yeah. No, not all the truth. Not Rolling Stone. Anyway, oh, back to Mick. Okay. In the beginning, when we first worked with him overseas, and 66. Yeah. I used to watch him standing in the wings, and I didn't know why, you know, his wife, why he was looking. And then I started watching him. He was just doing the tamarind thing at first, you know, just beating on the floor with the tamarind. Tear up one, and he'd get the another, another one. And so when he came to the States and we worked with him, here he was all over the stage. And I said, aha, now I know what he was doing. Mm -hmm. So then after that, he'd come to the dressing room, and I'd say, oh, the popcorn is out, Mick. Can you do it? You know, and his coordination, I mean, his, his rhythm was really off, you know. So he'd try to do it, he'd bounce around. He said, well, I can't do that one. I just sort of do it my, my own way, you know. But, uh, so you noticed the influence there, though. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Can I talk now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who settles an argument if you... Ah. Oh. Well, now you see. Things are not always the way they look, you know. No. no. Now, I always I do the talking. I Ike's kind of quiet. Yeah, he's, he's... Ike is very bashful when the lights are on, and... <laughs> <laughs> Said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Sagittarius. I'm always blowing it. But anyway, when I gets before an audience, yeah. and and all of a sudden he's aware that the microphone is on, he, he actually frees up. Like when he's in the recording studio, he turns out the lights in the control room. He has one of the musicians to record him. Nobody else can be in. You can be in because he can't stand to be for all this attention to be directly on him. But on the other hand. Ike's the one that does all of the ruling around, the talking, the whole thing. He's the whole thing. But in public, he's, he's like this. Yeah, because he can't get it together. It takes, him a, <laughs> it takes him a long time to get, you know, really wound up. But once you get him stirred up, you can't stop him. He just goes on and on and on. You can't get a word in. You're a little like Arthur and Catherine Murray. Uh, uh, oh, really? <laughs> I'm the only one who notices it, but uh, I, I just... Um, <laughs> and I, one thing I did want to check with you, and that, well, I want you to perform again, but um, if you will, yeah. at these rates, uh, <laughs> is uh, they, they said there's tremendous discipline among the Iquettes. Those are the girls called, called the Iquettes. Is this true that, that they get fined $10 for uh, giggling on stage and that you're really like a sergeant with them? And no, they don't get fined for giggling on stage. But oh, that's it, another myth then that yeah. I... At times when I'm serious... Well, see, I can't control Ike and the musicians. Ike's just really cutting up back there sometimes. You know, I'm serious, really singing a song almost in tears, and he's back there jabbing, having them to laugh. But I don't like the Ikeettes to laugh because they're right out there with me, and they're sort of representing me, you know, and then they're all sniggling and everything. He just throws the whole thing off, you know. But, uh, you know, like, uh, you can't tell Ike what to do. But, but you know... They, they do have fines yeah. for things like that. Uh, they do have fines. Oh, That's yeah, they, okay. they, they do. They, uh, yeah. For instance, like, here's some of the girls that sort of tacky. They don't like to really do their hair. You know, they yeah. say, well, it's enough of a curl in it. I can go on. Or, the, you know, they, they, they have a tendency to want to look great in the street, 
They don't want to put forth any efforts to the stage where. So you have to really stay on them all the time about little things that they that they really need. And so little things like that is what I really get them for. But other than that. But you, so you are a disciplinarian. <laughs> Mike? <laughs> are you glad to be here? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I want you to get a chance to talk. Uh, do you really know how to select the right life insurance company? Uh, then watch this uh, from the banker's life, the banker's life, that is, of Des Moines. 1972. <clears throat> Boy, I wasn't even born then. My goodness. These are some old people that I'm talking about. But serious, on a serious note, my favorite song by Tina Turner is this. Not my favorite, but one of my favorites. I should say it popped into my head when I was listening to this interview. And here it is. Let me type it in. Let me see. All right, here it is. And five, four, three, two. All right, here we go.
Yep, 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 yep. Okay, now, this is something that I want to look up right quick. Very important. That's the way you do it, right here. The only way to do it. Because this is about Ike and not Tina. Yes, so we're going to do it like this. Turner was the best band leader that ever lived. He was the king of rock and roll. He could make a piano talk and walk. Behind the scenes, he was pulling all the strings. He controlled that whole stage. Everybody got into the goat game. Everybody else got into sexual orgies. Mike was a violent man when I met him with his ladies. When Tina left, his life went down the drain. He had a 45 and he tried to shoot himself. And he didn't know how to get out of this hole. Prison was probably the thing that saved his life. The movie put such a bad aura on him. It made his life a living hell. <laughs> that was an assassination of his character. He just got a raw deal. The true story needs to be told. The, the truth needs to be told. Unparalleled. Untold. Unsung. The story of Ike Turner. When their music played, it, it just went straight to your soul. Tina Turner, of course, was the singer and the star on stage. Ike Turner was everything else. Band leader, arranger, pianist, guitarist, and a pioneer whose musical legacy spanned five decades. took the blues and created his own Ike Turner sound. Ike had the ideas, and Tina put them across. The Ike and Tina Review was Ike Turner's greatest creation. And for two decades, his ruling passion. He knew exactly what he wanted, and he knew exactly how to get it from you. 
went from the choreography to creating the costumes to managing to booking to the girl steps, the hair on the head. He created everything himself. His way of the highway. You either do or you don't. But over time, that compulsion for control over music, bandmates, and most famously, his wife, would lead to a spectacular fall for Ike Turner, destroying his career, his reputation, and ultimately, his life. The demons that Ike had in him had been there for a long time and had been surrounding him for a long time. Let's put it like that. People who went to see that movie, they thought that he was the worst person in the world. He was just hurt within himself that he couldn't get through this. And he'd rather just go up and just tear himself up by getting high. He had a heart, you know? He, he, wasn't, he wasn't what people had made him out to be. His character was so destroyed. I think he just died a heartbreak. Born in 1931, Ike Turner was never a stranger to trouble or hard times. His mother was a seamstress, his father a Baptist minister. He grew up on the outskirts of Clarksdale, Mississippi, where poverty and segregation came with the territory. That was uh, quite a bit a divide at that time. It was a little tough. There was a lot of, you know, prejudice. The protection, you know, that law is supposed to give to people, you know, that was non-existent in, in those days. When Ike was five years old, he watched as his father was savagely beaten by a local posse for having an affair with a white woman. He was actually in the front window watching these men do this to his father. You know what I'm saying? That is traumatic enough. And then seeing that and not being able to do anything about it. The hospitals during the time wouldn't even allow him to go to be treated. They had to prepare a tent in the backyard. And him and my mom would have to go out and take things to his dad. And they say you could smell it for miles around because his intestines was completely beaten. Out. His father ultimately died from his injuries. You know, something like that at a young age, you know, you don't ever erase. With his father gone, Ike was frequently abused sexually by older women, beginning at the age of six. By the time he was 12 years old, he had been molested by three older women. Yes. And, you know, it was rape. These women forced themselves upon him as a kid. No one looked at it in that terms of the Greek, but uh, it probably gave him a lower esteem as far as dealing with women. But growing up in Clarksdale, Ike found his calling as well. The town was a mecca for blues and home base for such legends as Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, John Lee Hooker, and pianist Pine Top Perkins. Pine Top played a lot at a pool hall, and Ike had a job at the pool hall uh, sweeping up. And Pine Top said if Ike ran errands for him, 
uh, he would teach Ike how to play. By his teen years, Ike was spinning records at local radio station WROX and developing his musical chops on piano and guitar. Ike, not only did he DJ here, but the Ike Turner Orchestra played um, at certain times during the day or during the week, whenever. We put our band together and uh, I named it the Kings of Rhythm. Whatever would get hot on the jukebox, that's what we would play. When we started playing, the people would applaud us. We sound just like the jukebox. Ike had a very different explosive sound because within his blue, you had like a jazz flavor. And then on, you know, on top of that, he had a rock edge. Ike's sound caught the ear of B.B. King, who had his own radio show up the road in Memphis. That led to a recording date in 1951 with Sam Phillips at Memphis's Sun Studios and a song Ike wrote about a hot car called Rocket 88. You women have heard of jalopies, you've heard the noise they make, but let me reintroduce my new Rocket 88. Yes, it's great, just one way. Everybody likes my Rocket 88. The shorty guitar, the piano part that Ike played, and... Uh, you know, the sax solo and all those things, many people consider that to be the first rock and roll song. That was a disc jockey, Dewey Phillips. And when he played it on his radio show, all of the white kids would tan to the record shop to buy it. That's when they found out that white kids would buy black music. Rocket 88 hit number one on the charts, stayed there for five weeks, and became a classic that Ike would proudly perform five decades later. When I hear Rocket 88, I think of a transition between Delta Blues and rock and roll. It's a landmark, actually, this, this song. You may want to call it rock and roll, but I call it boogie woogie. But you know, they can call it what they want to call it. I'd just be playing what I play. But there was a catch. Because Ike's saxophonist Jackie Brinston sang the lead vocal, he got the song credit. And Ike Turner got a check for $20. The numbers on this was probably at that time astronomical as far as uh, what it was actually producing. But to get $20. That helped him to understand why it's called show business. After that happened, he was determined that no one would ever take anything from him again. Through the early 50s, Ike worked as a record producer and session musician on records like B.B. King's first hit, Three O'Clock Blues, while still leading his own band, the Kings of Rhythm. By 1956, he'd moved the group to St. Louis, where Ike's sound literally crossed racial divides. They would drive across the bridge between East St. Louis and St. Louis and go into clubs where, you know, white teenagers were in attendance. And then they'd drive across the bridge and the kids would follow them back and forth and his argument with club owners uh, was that if you don't let my fans come in I'm not gonna play so he forced the color line in East St. Louis as well as across across the bridge a turning point came one night in 1958 with the arrival of one particular fan named Anna Mae Bullock 
I was uh, very well known in St. Louis, and I was still in high school, very young. And, <laughs> and I had wanted to sing with this group, too young to go in the clubs, but I sort of put on makeup and so forth to get in. And I, I, when I finally got to him, I asked him if I could sing with him, and he says, yeah, I'll call you. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so then, but he never called me. So uh, one of the musicians set uh, one of the microphones down one night, and I, I took hold of the mic and started singing. Pow! And after Anna Mae joined the band, Ike gave her a stage name that would help keep her there. Tina Turner. He was really passionate, serious about his name and, and ownership. He said those names were registered because of what happened. He was burned once and he said, never again will anyone take anything from me. Gregory Hines is deceased. Gregory Hines, H-I-N-E-S, Hines, Gregory Hines. And him and Luther Vandross had a song together. And I'm going to listen to it, and I invite you to come to listen as well. In five, four, three, two, one. Every time I hear her say she's still 
just try to know all the things that our hearts say. songs by Jerry Levert is Casanova but right now is uh, a night it's a it's a 1987 interview of Levert <laughs> that I want you to listen to and you know of course he's deceased so listen to it To a game of 
Concert tour of 1989. It's Lavert. They've got a hot one on Atlantic Records. It's called Just Coolin'. Say hello to Lavert, y'all. Hello to Lavert, y'all. <laughs> Why don't we uh, introduce everybody in the group real first? I'm Gerald. And this is Mark. I'm Sean. fantastic set. Uh, tell us about the album. Well, the album is filled with a lot of different, with a variety of music. Um, side A is like a lot of up-tempo stuff. Uh, side B is more of the ballads, you know, love songs and stuff that we've been doing or we started out doing like I'm Still and stuff. So it's like a mixture and a blend and something there for everybody, I think. And uh, what's the next release off the album? Uh, it's called Gotta Get That Money. It just came out this week. So uh, we're hoping that it'll do well, as well as just cool. Uh, tell us about how you hooked up with Heavy D for this one. Well, Heavy, we have been, we met each other at different functions. And uh, actually, I met him at the uh, BRE convention in Los Angeles. Up at Universal City. Yeah. Right. And uh, we just kept talking about, you know, how I admired his music, he admired our music. And, uh, you know, we felt that we should get together. Easy does it. Do it easy. Push up on a cutie and let it squeeze me. Relax a little. Let your body work. Heavy days and effects. And I'm cool. Killing down. Be my sweetheart. 
Um, a lot of people may know now, if they haven't already, that uh, both you and your brother here are uh, sons of Eddie Levert of the OJs. Has that been a help or a hindrance to you in the music business? I think it's been a help because, you know, <clears throat> the OJs being as big of a group as they were, as they are, and, you know, it's, you know, and Gerald sounded like my father, what could be wrong with it? And, uh, <laughs> good question. But, uh, you know, you ask Ricky Nelson's kid if it's been a hurt or help to him, uh, he'd probably say it's a hindrance because uh, everybody expects them to grow up to be just what their dad was. And sometimes when they don't see them... I think, we're, I think we're living up to, you know, to their standards, to those their standards. You know, we're doing, we doing it, right? It's definitely the sound of the OJs, that's for sure. And uh, anybody who's at least my age, and that's only 25, uh, well, <laughs> all right, 26, uh, knows the sound of the OJs and, of course, can relate to the sound of Levert. And they've got a hot one right now. It's on Atlantic Records. It's just cooling. Is that the name of the album and the single? That's right. Thanks for being on the show, gentlemen. Our pleasure. Live on Exposure Video. <laughs> Sean Edward Levert was born September 28, 1968, in Cleveland, Ohio. He was the son of the OJ's lead singer, Eddie Levert, and younger brother of singer Gerald Levert. Due to their father's music success, Sean and Gerald began to pursue music, forming a singing group in high school with their friend Mark Gordon in 1983. They called themselves Levert. Eddie Levert and his friend Harry Coombs started a record label and released their debut album called I Get Hot. In 1986, their second album, Bloodline, produced a number one single called Pop, 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 Goes My Mind. In 1987, their third album, The Big Throwdown, became an even bigger success with the number one hit, Casanova. The group's success continued in 1988 with the album, Just Coolin', which was nominated for Best R&B Urban Album for the 1989 Soul Train Music Awards. Their song, Just Coolin', featuring Heavy D and Addicted to You, both went number one on the charts. Four of the group's seven albums went gold, and in 1991, Gerald Levert went on to pursue a solo career. In 1995, Sean Levert released his solo album titled The Other Side, which peaked at number 22 on the Billboard. In 2008, Sean Levert was sentenced to 22 months in prison for failing to pay child support for three of his children. On March 30th, 2008, Sean Levert died after being denied his prescribed anti-anxiety medication, Xanax, the entire time in jail. Sean began to hallucinate in jail and had trouble breathing after guards shackled him to a restraint chair. The jail settled a lawsuit with Sean LaVert's wife for $4 million. 
the jail adopted a policy exactly one year after his death called Sean's Law, named for the singer, which would require every county jail to give each inmate a medical, dental, and mental health screening on arrival. He was 39 years old. Rest in peace, Sean LaVert. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. Yes, rest in peace, Sean LaVert.